for real, I mean, I'm, I'm not being sarcastic. I, sometimes I get in a rush and I just want to like, let's just, let's just go and I step on the musicians or I step on our readers who are prepared and have worked hard to do things. And so I appreciate you stopping me because you were ready to do that. So I'm sorry for stopping you. Um, as she was reading that psalm though, something popped into my head that I want to share with you that does go along with what I'm going to be preaching from this morning. The Gospel of John, at the very beginning of it, John 1, says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And in John's Gospel, the Word, right there where I was reading Word, literally it's capitalized, and it's referring to Jesus. And so it's interesting to think about the Word of God, like the Word of God being enfleshed in Jesus, and then hearing a psalm that says, Your Word is a lamp unto my feet. Your word has been tested and tried. It's, it's interesting to think about that as, as we think about Jesus walking into dark places with us. The word of God walking in that's a lamp to our feet. And so um, that's just a little extra. Uh, it's free. You don't even have to pay for that one. I'm going to read to you um, a passage that also comes from John chapter 1. This is Jesus calling the first disciples in John's Gospel. And what I like about the Gospel of John is John's a, the kind of writer that puts, uh, he, he writes in a narrative form that you can actually kind of see what's going on. I really like Mark because Mark moves fast and just gets things done. But John paints a really pretty picture for us where uh, as good as a Jewish, ancient Jewish writer would with words. So listen to this story from John 1, starting with verse 30. The next day, John was standing again with two of his disciples. I'm going to pause there for a second. Notice that John the Baptist has disciples. A leader has people who follow them. A, 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 a rabbi had disciples, and it was a big deal to be called to follow a rabbi. That was like getting invited to play for the varsity when you're a freshman, right? Like, you want to be that person who's called up. You don't want to be on the C team, which is like, yeah, maybe sometime. And also think about the fact that Jesus' disciples had either been somebody else's disciples or they were no one's disciples, meaning they had never been called up. They were the B team, the C team. They were the ones who weren't the, the top of the class. They weren't first chair in their orchestra or whatever. They were, they were the ones who, you know, C average at best. That's who changed the world in the name of Jesus. When John, when these disciples, or the next day John was standing again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus walking along, he said, look, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard what he said, and they followed Jesus. When Jesus turned and saw them following, he asked, what are you looking for? They said, Rabbi, where are you staying? He replied, come and see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they remained with him that day. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon. One of the two disciples who had heard what John said and followed Jesus was Andrew, the brother of Simon Peter. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah. He led him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas. 
the next day, Jesus wanted to go into Galilee, and he found Philip. Jesus said to him, follow me. Philip was from Bethsaida, the hometown of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and the prophets, Jesus, Joseph's son from Nazareth. Nathanael responded, Can anything good come from Nazareth? Philip said, Come and see. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God, and may God give us wisdom and courage for interpretation, and may God give us wisdom and courage as we do our very best to apply the truth of Scripture to our lives. Amen. Come and see. I, I love that John starts his gospel off with this story of Jesus calling his disciples, and there's questioning happening. They're not for sure. They're not trusting. They're following Jesus along, kind of creeping up behind them. I imagine it as a comical scene. You might imagine it in a more serious way, but I feel like they're kind of at a distance. And when Jesus is slowing down, they kind of scoot off to the side by a building and pretend they're visiting, and then they keep walking. And before long, he realizes he's being followed by them, and he turns around and is like, what are you bozos doing? And they say, where are you staying? He says, come and see. And then the very next day, they start spreading the word. We found the one. We found the one. And they get to Nathaniel. And Nathaniel questions them and says, no way. Nothing good can come from Mayfield High School. Yeah. Nothing good can come from El Paso or whatever. You know, whatever your nothing good is, nothing good can come from there, right? And, and then what do they say? What They say, come and see. Come and see. Our job, according to 2 Peter, is to testify to the powerful deeds of the one who called us out of the darkness and into the light. We're supposed to tell people, come and see. This was what my life was like, and my life has changed. Come and see. You, you want to serve, you want to see where Jesus is working, come and see. I have this friend, his name's Reverend Dr. Cabral Russell, although he would be embarrassed if I put the Reverend and Doctor in front of his name if he were here. And Cairo and I had coffee together every other Monday for six years. You've heard me talk about him before. He's uh, in his early 90s, a retired pastor. And he used to go uh, every other week to the food pantry in, Al in Abilene, Texas, the Methodist food pantry. And he told me, he said, I'm the chaplain to the food pantry. Now, this was a volunteer position that he created. I don't know of anybody that worked at the food pantry wanting him doing it, but he did it anyway, and no one would ever fire him from anything because he's Cairo. And so I asked him one morning while we were having coffee, I said, when you're down there, what do you do? And he said, well, the Bible tells us that Jesus is always with the poor, so I just go down there and I look for Jesus. You should come with me sometime. He was following in the footsteps of our brothers from ancient times, he was saying, come and see. I'm looking for the one, come and see. You may have noticed as you were walking in this morning, a bunch of tables set up outside. Those are people who are involved in ministries here in this church, they're involved in ministries outside of this church doing other things. 
and they're out there because they have seen Jesus through the work that they do, and they want to say, come and see. It's, it's not, hey, we need more people to help out with this thing or that thing. It's come and see, because we see Jesus. And so I was having a conversation with Stuart and the staff a few weeks ago, and we decided to film some of their answers to that question. Where have you seen Jesus? Because if our job is to testify to the one who called us out of the darkness and into the light, it should at least start with the church staff, right? And so they all had some stories, and we videoed them telling their stories, and we're going to watch some of them this morning. So uh, take a few minutes and enjoy this. Patience is a virtue, by the way. Just by his behavior and his motions, 
she talked to him about his health, and he said that he was, and I was able to get him to drink some coffee with some sugar. It seemed like such a simple thing. But by the time he left, with food, and after good conversation and prayer, it felt different. He seemed different. He was better somehow. Not just because he had had some coffee with sugar, but that was important too, you know? That needed to be done. But also just because somebody, and two somebodies, cared. And I saw Fran being the hands and feet of Jesus. And I get to see other people all the time doing things like that. And that's very special. That's a special part of my job that not everybody else, or perhaps not many other people at all, get to see. God is everywhere in both of my ministries. And it's cool to be a part of worship because um, there's this element of music that comes together when people sing and when the congregation involves and when someone is leading a song and they, they're singing those words and they actually mean them, um, you see God start to move because um, those lyrics start becoming part of who we are. Um, you know, I can think of like, you know, Unstoppable God. I can think of The Resurrected King. I can think of all these songs that have a declaration and a meaning. And as myself, as a singer, and even as the other singers start declaring those things, um, it's really incredible to see what happens, especially when the congregation starts believing what they sing. God starts moving. So, um, and then on the youth side, um, these youth are incredible. Uh, and and it's, it's honestly very challenging to find youth that aren't nowadays. Um, they're very confident in who they are. And, and even those that are insecure, they have a sense of, um, of searching and, and I'm really hoping and believing that um, that the end result is going to be God. We spend a lot of time uh, in youth, and we spend a lot of time praying. We spend a lot of time in worship, but but the main thing is um, the devotions that I give week by week. It's really cool to see the way that the youth and their minds start wrapping around um, these biblical stories, and, and I do my absolute best to try to give like a modern interpretation because I think that's what they need. Um, it's the same message, but it's a different method. And, um, and I love that about Methodism too. Um, but God is always moving, especially in these youth. Um, there was a night a few weeks ago where um, we had just a time of prayer and I told them about uh, Romans chapter 10, verse nine, and, and whoever believes in me uh, will have eternal life. And if you confess it with your mouth, and we had this time of salvation, it was really incredible. Um, and so it was just amazing to see those salvations take place and to see God moving and he's always moving it. It's, the, the better question, I guess, the more open-ended question would be like, when doesn't God move? Because then I could just say, like never, he's always moving. As a musician, it's really, really cool because uh, I sit behind this piano, I, I see the congregation, and, and I see them react to the offering, and I see them react to communion, and I see them react to the sermon. It's, it's really cool from that perspective. It, I don't know, when I was growing up, it sometimes I always felt a little bit impersonable like the, the pastor being up there, but then growing up and being here, it's like, oh, people actually do interact and they do connect. Um, and, that, and that's really cool, and that's my personal life. I'm also seeing 
growth and, and the relationships that I've built while being here. Uh, when I started here, the choir was, um, a lot of our members are, are snowbirds, so a lot of them were not here when I first started. But as I've, as I've been here longer, they, they've come uh, and it's grown, and it's, it's been awesome to get to know them and, and to get to hear their voices and to get to sing and worship with them every Wednesday night. Uh, it's, it's honestly something I look forward to as a, as a student because it's busy and I guess the end of my Wednesday is like, oh, I get to come, I get to come sing with my choir today. You know, it's, it's really awesome. We, we really stress what, what we're singing about, you know, like if we're singing a hymn, what is this hymn about? Why are we singing it? Instead of going through the motions and just kind of dealing with uh, singing them every day, but making each one special. That's my big line. So we could use these videos as a promotional to say like, hey, you should come and do these things because we need more help in whatever area these ministry leaders are leading in. But that's not the point. The point is we want to say, come and see. And if it's not with them, it's with the people out there. And if it's not with the people out there, it's in the places where you work and the places where you go and in your classrooms and, and with your teachers and with your students and with your athletes and with your coaches and with um, all of the people that are part of your life, your coworkers, come and see. So I grew up in Carlsbad, New Mexico, which is mostly known for the caverns, Carlsbad Caverns National Park. And, about, you know, like every three or four years, if you grow up in Carlsbad, you go to the caverns. When somebody comes to town who's never been there, you take them to see the caverns. And every once in a while, you get to go on a field trip to see a part of the cave that most people don't get to go see, or, or you get to go, you know, into the national park and see different caves that most people don't get to go see on field trips. And when you're going through the caverns, there are a few ways you can do it, at least the last time I was there. I, been a while, but when I was a kid, you, they would give you these giant, uh, about the size of a payphone, you know, but it was, you, you know what payphones are, and, um, but they, they looked more like a cell phone, those big, old, old cell phones, and you would walk up, and there would be a plaque with a number on it, and you would push, like, zero, one pound, and you would put it up to your ear, and some voice would come on and say, like, this is whatever, whatever, you know, and kind of tell you about it, or you could just do a self-guided thing where you walk through and see what you want to see. Or you could go with an interpretive guide. And interpretive guides are really fun to go with because if you get a good one, they'll tell you the backstories. Like, this is a great spot. Like, so-and-so discovered this part of the cave and this thing happened and down there in the bottom of that hole is something that we've seen, you know, it's rare. And also, behind that stalagmite is the light switch that turns on the lights to this part of the cave. And that's a great place to hide in the mornings when the other people are coming through and you can jump out and scare them, like your coworkers, you know, like you get the backstory of the things. Our job as followers of Jesus is to be interpretive guides of truth. We walk through our lives every day looking for truth, looking for the word, looking for Jesus. And when we see it, we pause for a second and we tell those around us what it is that they are witnessing also. And it sounds scary, like, oh my gosh, 
pastor is asking me to talk about Jesus, but the prophet Bruce Springsteen, during his South by Southwest keynote speech several years ago, was talking about rock and roll. And you can go online and watch it if you have an extra 50 minutes, and you should, because it truly is prophetic in the, in the, in the best sense of the word. But Bruce stands up in front of everybody, and he breaks down like, this is what Roy Orbison was about. And this is what the birds were about. And this is what Bob Dylan's about. And this is what Johnny Cash was about. And he goes through the whole thing and he builds up to him. And then he says, and if you're out there right now and you're playing rock and roll music, you're the future. And don't you ever forget all these people behind you. And the real change that they made in the world in the 60s through their protest songs and through the 50s by setting kids free. And in the 70s, he just kind of goes through the whole thing. He's like, this is serious business. Do not mess this up for the future generations. You have to keep this going. But don't you ever forget, it's rock and roll, have fun. And when I heard him say that, I was like, that's the gospel. That's the gospel. James and Andrew, and Peter, or Peter was, yeah, James, Andrew, Peter, John, Matthew, Mark, Judas, Jude, all of these guys, and Mary, and Martha, and all of the ladies who were followers of Jesus, don't ever forget them. The work that they did that led us to this place, and you can trace it back to the people who led you to this place, and the people who led them to that place, and the people who led them to that place. You can go all the way back to this story. It is that serious. But don't ever forget, it's just the gospel. Have fun with it. Relax if the video doesn't play. Oh, well, talk, move on. It's not our job to do perfect work. It's our job to do the best we can. And guess what? God does the work of perfection. Be tour guides of truth. Invite people to come and see. There are a few more stories I want to hear. I work with the children and the youth. And when you're working with the kids, what you always wonder is how much of what we're teaching them do they actually take home with them? And when we talk about Moses, is this really a person or is this Iron Man to them? Is Mary like just some other Disney princess to them? Is this real to them? And are they um, getting the deeper meaning of these stories? And we have a, the children's moment at the beginning of one of our services. And the children's moment, the kids come up and sit with the pastor and we play this game. And the game is called Stump the Pastor. And the child has been chosen each week to bring an object in. The pastor doesn't see it until that moment. And he has to come up with like a teachable moment. Has to come up with something. Um, and sometimes, yeah, he is completely stumped. But the kids always have something. They always come up with something. And it doesn't matter if somebody has brought like a little transformer or a toy dinosaur, or um, last week it was a, a sprig of rosemary, of all things. And the kids automatically know how to take the 
this object, no matter what it is, and bring it back around and talk about how it represents God's love for us and how God is always with us and is always there to take care of us. And so it's really, really cool to see them bring the real meaning of what we're taking, what we're teaching them into their own life. And so it, it really lets you know that, yeah, they're getting it and they take it home with them. And it's really sweet to see that. It's awesome. I like the moments at church when no one's here. And I'm in the middle of creating something, whether it's an event that people are gonna come to or um, I'm doing something on the website or with the app. A lot of people don't see that behind the scene work when people show up and they're doing more than just fellowshipping. They're actually engaging with each other. That's where I think like the magic happens, the miracle of, of what it is that I set out to create. When somebody from somewhere that I don't know emails us and tells us that the sermon touched them, that the work we do here is important and impactful, that creating enough space on a card for somebody to be able to write a prayer request and know that they're going to be prayed for until they say, we don't need to pray for them anymore. I have conversations with people to be available for somebody to have a conversation with that they find otherwise would be tough to, to be able to talk to, to shake hands with people on a Sunday and let them know that they can go to church at their own pace and we do not have uh, a yardstick to measure things by such as membership or, or attendance that we are just wanting them to be fully engaged in God the Creator, Christ the Redeemer, and the Holy Spirit the Sustainer. That's where I find God, where others may not see Him. So the question as we move out of this time of our service and into the most important thing that we'll do today, at least in church, which is communion, is here's our question. Where, where have you seen Jesus? What are the caves you've been called out of? I, and that story from John says it was four o'clock in the afternoon. And I always wonder, like, why do we need to know that? And I don't know that we need to know that it was four o'clock, but I think John needs to say it was four o'clock. Because the major events in our lives, we can remember. We can remember maybe not the specific time, but we can remember what time of day it was. Like I know the moment that my life was forever changed by the Holy Spirit was in the evening. I know what month it was. If I went back and looked at a calendar, I could tell you what day it was. Because I know where I was and what I was doing. I 
can tell you a lot of things like that. And so I think John wants to say, like, this is the time that that happened, because John needs to say it. But as you're coming forward to receive and maybe serve communion today, as you're coming,